Christ is risen. Christos was grassy. Christos and the art. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We continue in this Paschal season in the Gospel of John. But this is the first Sunday that we are not given a resurrection encounter. Or at least it does not seem that way. The feast of the Jews, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, as that was what a pious Jew did at the time. And he enters into Jerusalem and goes by the sheep gate, where there's a pool. Now every little detail of scripture has weight and significance. So when the text tells us there's five porches and a great multitude of sick people, we're being introduced into a scene. The Gospel of John operates like this. It's major encounter in scene, turmoil, debate, discussion, next scene, next scene. It's not as episodic or powerful like a firecracker like Mark, bam, 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 but it's these encounters and then these long theological reflections throughout the Gospel of John. Our Lord encounters, the, the Gospel tells us, a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. It's like we have the entire Gospel account, all of the miracles of healings, they're all present. And it's not just a few, but we're told it's a great multitude because there's five porches. That means you need to think outside the box, not five porches as in like your front porch, but a much broader, think Roman, right? Think Greco-Roman, think large hallway. We have a large porch, a large covered area. Can you imagine what it would be like? You've walked into a hospital, but now in our hospitals, we have everybody off in little alcoves, right? In little rooms. But you're walking into, Jesus is walking into great multitudes of people everywhere with various illnesses. But it's not just that there's all sorts of ill people around. This is the pool where the sheep that are sacrificed were cleaned. This is the entrails were cleaned here. So not only do you have all the sick around, but you have a pool that has washed a lot of blood off the sacrifices. So there's debate about what stirs up. The fathers talk about it is the sacrifices, the blood and the water, and an angel coming related to the sacrifice that had been made, that the healing occurred. This is why we have the gathered multitude. This is why we have the lame, the blind, the paralyzed, all those who are sick, and they're waiting. They're not waiting because they heard long ago at some time there's going to be a moving of the water. This is a regular occurrence. Because when our Lord talks to the paralytic man, he tells him, I have nobody to help me to get into the water. So this is a regular occurrence. Again, step back and think of this setting. Crowds of just sick people. Bloodied water from the sheep. And our Lord enters. This is a Paschal image, is it not? 
Our Lord walking into the depths of pain, of suffering, of sacrifice. It's almost as if he is entering into Hades itself. This is where he is going to encounter and bring the light, the life that only our Lord can bring. Our Lord sets eyes on a certain man who had been there for 38 years, or at least had infirmity for 38 years, and had been there, the text tells us, for a long time. And Jesus asked him, Do you want to be made well? This is quite a question. Isn't it pretty obvious what this man is there for? Does he not want to be made well? Is he just hanging out? Why else is he there? He's there because the water moves, because the pool heals, because the intercessions, the presence of an angel of God. This paralytic, years beside this pool, seeing others healed, being helpless, and I would suggest perhaps even despondent. How many times do you have to see someone else get healed before you say, I'm not going to get myself to that place. I'm just going to stay home. Forget about it. I don't have anybody to help me. This question of our Lord resounds for us. And I want to look at three ways, three emphases of our Lord's question to the paralytic man. Do you want to be made well? First, do you want to be made well? This question is for each and every one of us. It is not a question for your neighbor. It's not a question for your spouse, for your children, for your grandparents. It's not a question for anybody else. Well, it's a question addressed to every single one of them. But that's not what should occupy your mind or your heart, but the question for you, do you want to be made well? And this is a question that we encounter. This is part of the reason for the rhythm of the church that we have the services that we do, that we are always encountering our Lord, or at least in coming to the services, we are to be encountering our Lord. This is not just... The encounter on Sunday morning, this is a regular encounter where our Lord asks, do you want to be made well? This is a daily, hourly, maybe every minute kind of question for us. Do you want to be made well? This personalizes it. This takes it out of ideas This takes it away from just habits. This brings it down to the depths of our soul. Do you want to be made well? Now that we have our Lord and we have his eyes have locked with our eyes. What stirs within us when we hear this question? What do we want What do we truly desire? I think a litmus test, a really easy one, is 
What do we daydream about? What do we think about all the time? What obsesses us? And there's times and seasons where things come and go, but there are things that our heart dwells upon. This may be money. This may be time. This may be any kinds of imaginations, fantasies. But what about the kingdom? What about our Lord? What about the church? What about our brothers and sisters of Christ? What about those who are our neighbors, those that we encounter? What does our heart dwell upon? What do we want? The paralytic got to the water for years. That meant he had, he couldn't call an Uber, right? Or order an Uber and get himself over there. That means he had to have somebody to help him get over there. Maybe he spent a few nights there. He did not live there. Can you imagine day in, day out, going to that pool, even when he didn't have someone to help him into the water? Why not just give up? This desire to be made well, let's just call it for what it is, and it's something throughout this, especially this time, that paralyzes many of us. Despondency. Giving up on desire. Giving up on desiring the kingdom. Through all sorts of excuses, all sorts of reasons. It's not really for me. I can't be happy. You can come up with all sorts. And this clouds. This overwhelms our hearts. What do we want? And finally, do you want to be made well? Our Lord offers wholeness, healing. But being made well by our Lord, as we see in our own Lord's life, as we see in the Apostle's life, as we're reading through the book of Acts right now, doesn't solve everything. Coming into communion and receiving healing from God does not just mean a happily ever after. Rather, what happens to this man? He's harassed. This man has broken the law, apparently. The apostles, they are persecuted. To have suffering amidst our life does not mean that our soul is not in the right place, that we are not made well, that we can bring our Lord as he's walked into this very image of Hades, of the depths of suffering and of sacrifice. His presence is there and he's healing. Another dimension of being made well, and that is something that we can grow despondent about, is what does our Lord say after he encounters him again? He says, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. In the church, we talk about vigilance. We talk about the guarding of our heart through prayer through the monitoring of our thoughts, the tending and shepherding of what our heart dwells upon, what it grows within itself. 
And this isn't just a denial of the entry of bad thoughts. That's a bad way to understand vigilance. It is also incumbent upon us to cultivate joy. To not just say no to the bad things, but to grow, to water, to tend to all of the good things of God. About an hour ago, a little over an hour ago, we baptized little Anna in the font that sits in our midst. And there is an incredible joy as we have a newly enlisted soldier of Christ our God, that we have one who has, will join us in a few minutes at the festal banquet table of our Lord. This is a reality. This is the reality of the kingdom that needs to bowl us over, that needs to overwhelm us, to bring tears of joy so that we can, after being made well, after having our Lord touch those particular parts of our life and have his presence for a long time for particular wounds and particular struggles, that we can be overwhelmed with joy. This is because the risen Lord is with us. We're not like the paralytic. If you notice in the gospel, the paralytic didn't even realize who Jesus was. When the Jews asked him, who did this? So Jesus had to go and tell him, it was me, it was Jesus. We're not in that situation. We know who Jesus is and his presence among us. For we are, in many ways, a gathered group of sick, lame, blind, paralyzed, wounded, overwhelmed with all sorts of death, destruction. We're paralyzed. But it is the risen Lord who asks us, do you want to be made well? Throughout this week, I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to remember this question of our Lord. To pose it to yourself. Do I want to be made well? And then, if you're maybe in your car, maybe if you want to, sing Christ is risen. Allow the joy of our risen Lord's presence to be actually embodied in your mouth and reverberate through your body so that you can feel, so that you can affirm the desire to walk, to be with our risen Lord. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen.